0: Welcome to Practically Fit, Real Fitness Over 40. I'm Alex Johnson.
1: And I'm Jen Chamberlain.
0: And today we're talking about nutrition over age 40. And obviously we think this is a timely topic in the United States with Thanksgiving looming here in a few weeks. Is it? It's... It's not this it's net it's the week after next so yeah we're yeah we we thought you know and for those of you who aren't from the United States it's a big holiday here and people eat a lot of food
1: Um, it's a big eating (laughs) holiday is what it is you sit around and eat so
0: all that food coming uh it's we thought it would be a good kind of theme this week to talk about nutrition
1: yeah absolutely so I have to tell you Alex something um that my sister challenged me to do and so this is like the most terrifying thing i did on october 31st on halloween right, right? so she challenged me not to weigh myself for a month wow. um <laughs> yeah because i have a lot of scale anxiety and typically i weigh myself every day and i read a lot into those fluctuations so we came up with this thing called no care november so i'm just eating what i want doing healthy things and not weighing myself just to see if if what I fear will happen that I'll gain like 50 pounds, which I don't think that's going to happen. But it's been really, um, it's actually, it's it's been hard, but really refreshing. I think not watching the scale every day has made me less anxious and more focused just on eating healthy instead of watching calories.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It's funny. Actually, since I had broken my leg in July, I have basically stopped looking at the scale oh wow (laughs) so I've done this sort of not consciously as you are but um I did I remember weighing myself one time after I got back from my trip where I'd broken my leg. And, you know, I know it's have gained a few pounds, but also let's right. be honest, it was my wedding. I was eating a lot and having <laughs> English beer every, every night at the pub. So I'm not sure the uh, leg break was to, to blame for that. But um, yeah, I can tell you, um, I guess I probably should weigh myself at some point, but uh, <laughs> I don't feel like I've changed much. I don't feel like I've really gained any weight since then. And honestly, I feel better not constantly checking it. So I'll, yeah. be, I'll be curious to hear, uh, what, you know, how you feel after this and maybe, maybe some of our listeners can try this as well and, and see how it feels. Um, so that's kind of your little anecdote this week around the topic. Mine um, has to do with clothing, so okay, uh, yeah. So I so with the pandemic, it's interesting. Um, I basically stopped wearing dress clothes for work. You know, it's right. been a massive shift in the way people dress for work. Obviously, for a, really for a long time there, there were many people who weren't going into the office. I was one of them. So I used right. to wear slacks and nice shirts all the time, and nice shoes, and sometimes suits if I went to professional events, uh, and. I just had not worn any of that clothing for years. I have one suit that I had gotten for my wedding, and that was it. So I thought, okay, I I had to go to a conference for work this past week. I thought, uh, oh, I should wear something nice. Like maybe I'll wear one of my other suits. Maybe I'll wear a pair of slacks and a nice shirt. I, none of my pants pre-pandemic fit. I not a, not a one, not one oh, wow. pair. So the only pair of pants that I have that fit, that are not, you know, nice stretchy jeans or, or, right. s- or sweats, is uh, the suit for my wedding. So that was what I wore to my conference.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> so hilarious. Yeah,
0: I mean, it looked good. So, but it was, I'm like, wow, what do I do with all these clothes that do not fit? And then I started going through in my head, is it worth, is it worth the cost to get them tailored? And I thought, well, no, I don't really wear these anymore. So, but it really, it kind of hit home. It's like, okay, you know, here I am. I'm over 40 now. I've gained a few pounds, nothing crazy, but right. this is an issue that is at the forefront for us as we age. Am Absolutely. I getting a beer belly right now? Will we all <laughs> get a beer belly? I, I don't know. The burning but, question. <laughs> but let's talk about it. So let's, let's kind of use that as our entry point. You hear a lot of talk about beer belly and beer gut in the united states especially and so what does that mean because i think this is actually an important subject you know we joke about beer guts but it's really something that links directly to your health Mm -hmm. um and so i'll talk about it from the male perspective um this is something where men tend to get this type of weight gain in their in their belly area right so i i did some research on it and i found a scientific american article written by the dean of the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida, Patrick J. Byrd. And so he talked about this quite eloquently. I'll quote from the article. He said, men tend to store excess fat in the visceral or abdominal region. This deposit has no apparent, apparent physiological advantage. On the contrary, it's downright dangerous. A large pot belly where the waist girth begins to exceed hip is strongly associated with an increased risk of coronary artery disease, diabetes, elevated triglycerides, so those things they look at on your blood tests, right. uh, hypertension, cancer, and general overall mortality. So, oh, wow. you know, we joke about the, the beer gut, but it's, it's not a good thing. Um, and there's a different there's a way you can tell the difference in your belly fat actually. So, um, Men's Health, thank you for this. They had a very useful article. If if you have this beer belly as they call it, it's going to feel harder to the touch. And again, that's this visceral fat that Patrick J. Bird is talking about. It's between your or inner organs and your abdominal cavity. So, mm-hmm. it's actually under those abdominal muscles. And if you have fat in between there, that's when it gets really dangerous. Uh, so if you want to tell the difference, like if your belly feels, feels really hard to the touch, that's a beer belly. If you mm-hmm. can pinch the fat on your stomach and it doesn't feel hard but more jiggly, it's subcutaneous fat, which is on the top of your belly region there, and that's that's less dangerous. So the Men's Health article I read about beer bellies said that a waist that's more than 40 inches um, mm-hmm. is a sign that you're increasing your risk of health issues, the the ones that uh, were quoted in the article from Patrick J. Burt. So the general rule here that you see when you do research is that men are a little bit more prone to putting fat on their belly, but this can be an issue, issue for women too, right, Jen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, for women, it definitely matters where you gain weight, but also it can change as you age. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about menopause on this uh, podcast, and, you know, hormonal changes can change your weight gain pattern as well. So, according to an article from the Mayo Clinic, um, decreasing levels of estrogen can make you gain weight around the middle. So, if you think about like an apple versus pear shape for women. And just like you said, Alex, that is potentially dangerous because it can be an indicator of visceral fat versus subcutaneous fat. And visceral fat can lead to all those things you just talked about, as well as breathing problems and premature deaths. So, yeah, pretty scary.
0: Yeah. And so, again, this will feed into the discussion around diet. Um, but, but as you put on this weight, as you age, it it can be scary. And so now that we've talked about all this scary belly fat, (laughs) let's talk about metabolism because this is another thing you hear brought up in this whole discussion around nutrition and diet. uh, Oh yeah. Metabolism. And so my question was for my own, you know, out of my own curiosity was how does metabolism play into all this, especially as we age? Mm -hmm. And the thing I'd always heard about metabolism was it just declines as you age. So you talk to people and you hear people say this all the time. My metabolism is really slowing. You know, people in in their thirties and forties will say this all the time. So I wanted to find out um, if this was actually the case and I, I did some research, and it may not be the case that your metabolism slows at this age. Uh, in fact, there was a study done last year in the journal Science that actually looked at meta- metabolism over people's lifespans. It was called mm-hmm. Daily Energy Expenditure Through the, the Human Life Course.
1: Very scientific. Oh, compelling title. Yes, Super <laughs> exciting, right? But
0: actually, apparently this research was pretty groundbreaking, and the results were really surprising to people given what most people tend to think about metabolism and again you hear that like oh my metabolism's slowing this right. research found basically that metabolism slows to an adult level about age 20 and then it remains pretty stable through age 60 wow so, yeah so it's not this slow decline in your 30s and 40s according to this newer research it doesn't start declining again until age 60 so if wow. this is if this is accurate, and this is is the new research that's out there, we really can't blame metabolism for our weight gain in our oh. 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, well, that's harsh. Yeah, it's harsh. <laughs> and take it a step further. It's it's also something that's largely out of our control anyway, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's the luck of the draw in terms of metabolism. And it, I found a great Harvard Health publishing article about this. Uh, It was called, Does Metabolism Matter for Weight Loss? And so Mm -hmm. I love their analogy. And again, I'm gonna quote this. One way to think about metabolism is to view your body as a car engine that is always running. When you're sitting still or sleeping, your engine is idling like a car at a stoplight. A certain amount of energy is being burned just to keep the engine running. Of course, for humans, the fuel source is not gasoline. It's the calories found in foods we eat and beverages we drink, energy that may be used right away or stored, especially in the form of fat for use later. How fast your body's engine runs on average over time determines how many calories you burn. If your metabolism is high or fast, you will burn more calories at rest and during activity. A high metabolism means you'll need to take in more calories to maintain your weight. That's one reason why some people can eat more than others without gaining weight. Uh, A person with a low or slow metabolism will burn fewer calories at rest during and during activity, and therefore has to eat less to avoid becoming overweight. Mm. So this is just the way it is. You're, wow. you're kind of stuck with your metabolism. It's a luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. But if you're gaining weight and you're, you know, you're, you're over 40, you're into your 50s, it's probably not metabolism that's to blame based on the newer research. It's the number of calories you're eating, and mm-hmm. it's your exercise. So you have to look at those factors, and and those are the way that you can make a dent in this uh, visceral abdominal fat that is so scary and linked to so many bad health conditions. Um, So thinking about that way, metabolism really isn't helpful for us. There's no hacks for that. People love life hacks. You're not going to life hack (laughs) your metabolism. We're stuck with what we got. We can't change it. So what do we do, Jen, to counteract all this dangerous belly fat?
1: Well, I mean, that's all pretty grim news, but I will say that um, the same article I read from the Mayo Clinic said it's really, you know, it's not that hard to keep your weight under control, especially given now that we don't have to worry that our metabolism is slowing, right? Just some, you know, very simple changes. So eating a balanced diet, avoiding sugary beverages, and meeting the health department guidelines, which, you know, several episodes ago, I talked about how this is kind of my new fitness goal is um, just getting a regular amount of, enter- of exercise every week. So at least 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity. So that could be brisk walking or taking a hike uh, per week or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity like running or boxing uh, or cycling. And then uh, strength training twice a week. And then also if you use a step counter, um, they said it takes an average of 10,000 steps a day to prevent weight gain. And uh, I do use a step counter. I don't know if, do you use a step counter?
0: Oh, yeah, let's... I have a Garmin watch.
1: Yeah, and it really um, my goal is 10,000 steps a day and it's really not that hard, you know, to achieve. You can just walk more, you know, take the stairs versus the elevator. Like little things really add up in terms of that. But what if you're trying to lose weight? Can you lose weight through exercise alone? This is a question I've had for so long because I love exercising and I hate dieting with a passion I do not like to have to you know hyper focus on everything I eat every calorie it's just to me it just sucks the joy out of life and eating and you know lots of you know I enjoy food and an occasional beer so you know I've always wondered can you lose weight through exercise alone and I've always heard that the answer is no actually though You can, but it's really hard. According to another article I found, you would have to double the numbers that I cited before of activity. So like 300 minutes of moderate activity a week. And if you break it down, that's 40 minutes a day. And that's that's a lot of exercise, honestly. That's kind of like having a part-time job.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you might argue that that at that point, you're, you're, you've seen decreasing benefits because you're not resting and you need rest as well. Right, exactly.
1: So it really makes more sense to try to pair fitness with a balanced diet, which is why we're talking about it today.
0: Yeah, let, let's talk more about the, the balanced diet. And by the way, side note, I want to look into the 10,000 steps thing for a whole episode of the podcast. We're going to mark that down. because Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good podcast for the future. Yeah. So, let's talk about diet. Um, have you ever heard of Blue Zones? No. Okay. Hmm. So that's good. <laughs> that makes it, this a lot a lot better discussion here. Um, there was a book that was written several years ago, I think early 2000s time frame, by a guy named Dan Butner. and the cliff notes on the book, it was, it was about blue zones mm-hmm. and basically through pretty extensive research, including anthropological research, they studied different cultures and areas across the globe and they found places in the world that had the highest concentrations of people over age 100. So mm. logically, you wanna look at like, what are those people doing to have that right. sort of longevity? And eventually through this research, they've, they've got an entire website now, it's bluezones.com, but uh, they, they found, um, they named several places as Blue Zones. They're places like Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, Uh, the Oglistara region of Sardinia and the Nicolia Peninsula of Costa Rica, and by the way, Loma Linda, California. Jim.
1: Well, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> not San Francisco, but I guess you know, close enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. So they looked at why this was. There was a lot that went into this. So it was not just diet. To be clear, there were things about these people that they found really meaningful. That they have a strong sense of community. They were tightly knit. They had you know friend groups. Um, they did a lot right. of exercise, and and kind of like around what you were saying earlier in terms of. The, the minutes of exercise, like, so you mm-hmm. might imagine these people just walk a lot. Uh, right. But of course, diet is a key factor in this. Mm-hmm. So based on the research that's been done around these Blue Zones, the, the people who are, who now have this Blue Zones website came up with guidelines that they think are key to living a long life. Um, and these are in terms of food. So I'll just summarize them here. Uh, they have them divided into month, monthly, weekly, and daily. So hmm. monthly, they say, retreat from meat. So the people in the blue zones, based on their research, eat about two ounces or less of meat about five times per month. And so when you think about two ounces, that is an extremely small amount. I mean, if you're into eating steak, right, that's... I mean, what, what's a normal steak, 10, 12 ounces? You're asking ounce the or... vegetarian I here, know I'm Ricardo. asking a vegan, but you didn't <laughs> used to be. So that's meat, including chicken, beef, um, lamb, I presume. like They just don't eat very much meat, a small mm-hmm. amount, less than five times per month. They also reduce their dairy intake, so not, not high on the dairy intake uh, on a monthly basis. Um, w- under their weekly category, they talk about slashing sugar. So consume only, and this gets, this may get into some of your diet hacks later, but consume only 28 grams or seven teaspoons of added daily sugar. And in the United States... This is not the norm. Um, people no. drink very sugary beverages. I mean, you look at the amount of sugar in some of these soda drinks, and it's crazy. Uh, and it's not even at this point. If it's not even real sugar, right? It's corn right, syrup, right? Corn and syrup, and
1: it's beverages. in everything. You know, yeah. condiments. I mean, there's hidden sugar in just Cereal, everything. Yeah, yeah. All,
0: all kinds of processed foods have sugar. Uh, and that was something I've noticed. Even you know, being in the UK a lot recently with my wife, and comparing just the food between the U S and the UK. And so I think they're still under like regulations that were put in by the European union and they have a lot less sugar, even something that I get that I consider healthy here. Like I eat a lot of coconut yogurt cause I don't do dairy And, but they add sugar to it here unless you're really careful and you find the one that doesn't have added sugar. But yeah, in the UK, it, it just doesn't have that. Just the normal, the normal, you know, coconut yogurt, they would not have added all this sugar. So just a, you know, practical example. I found this one really interesting. They also say to eliminate eggs which Hmm. eggs you know, it's, it's up and down on eggs over the years, isn't it? People for a long time, people said, don't eat eggs. They're terrible for you. And then they came back and said, eggs are really healthy and it's fine to eat the yolk. So in these blue zones, they're eating no more than three eggs per week. And, Hmm. you know, they may prepare them in certain ways. I think in Japan, you know, for example, they might've put an egg in their soup, uh, was an example on the website, but very minimal on the eggs. And then this one I found really surprising and you'll like it because you're a vegan go easy (laughs) on the fish. Uh, yeah, f- fewer than three ounces up to three times weekly. So they are eating fish a few times a week, but again, not a, a large amount of fish. So,
1: yeah, well, mm-hmm. if I can interject, you know, unfortunately a lot of fish has a lot of mercury in it too. So even right. if, you know, from a dietary perspective, it were nutritious, there's a lot, yeah, a lot of mercury these days in, in fish.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're not eating a lot of fish in the blue zones, but you know, maybe three times a week. Um, then daily. Um, so they're, they're kind of guidelines for daily eating snack on nuts one to two times a day.
1: Oh, I like Just that one. A couple <laughs> of handfuls.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, if you go out to the website, they list, you know, peanuts, walnuts, the different kinds of nuts, yeah. and the, the different benefits, um, drink mostly water. So mm-hmm. seven glasses a day. I'm pretty good on this one. I don't know about you. I drink a me lot. Too. Of
1: water. Yeah, me too. Uh,
0: and then coffee, tea and wine in moderation. So I need to. Pro- I've gotten bad with the coffee again. I probably need to, you know, cut that back. But um, the, the that's another one, one they go
1: back and forth with. Like it's healthy, it's yeah. not healthy. You know. I think
0: there's health benefits to coffee. I think they've do well too. documented that. It's just saying drink it in moderation. Right, you know, tea is good, and then wine in moderation they don't that was basically the only alcoholic beverage that they called mm, out and they said that actually people will drink maybe a glass of wine red wine a day in these regions mm-hmm. with friends and um you know there is research that shows that that can be connected to good health so uh but they didn't mention beer or liquor so gin oh. they didn't mention oh, ipa well. which i you know i was hoping that the blue zones were drinking yeah IPA. me
1: too I they're not. not no no <laughs>
0: The, a couple more, uh, you know, daily dose of beans, half Mm -hmm. to a cup, half cup to a cup a day of beans. Um, and then just this emphasis on whole food, single ingredient, raw cooked, ground, fermented, not highly processed. So all in all, what this adds up to is a 95 to a hundred percent plant-based diet.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, plays into your, your vegan status, um, and and I must say I'm not following this diet, uh, but um, it's it's quite interesting research and something to think about as we age.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is really interesting. Um, you know, I can definitely get on board with most of this. I I guess I would call myself an almost vegan. You could say I'm practically vegan <laughs> uh, because I don't. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I eat a mostly plant based diet uh, for the most part. You know, this last next to last one about um, non-processed foods that can be difficult these days, even for vegetarians and vegans, because there's a lot of really delicious processed vegan food, like Impossible right. Burgers. Or all those of different egg.
0: types of like chips that are made out of various vegan ingredients. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. I have some favorites of those. So it's easy to still load up on on processed food, even if you're following a plant based diet. But, well, um, the o- but the other
0: thing is is I would say it's also a higher effort diet, right? Because if you're if you're really working to find like minimally processed or, you know, single-ingredient, right. raw, ing- I like, you've got to put some effort into that based on the way the grocery stores operate in the United
1: States. Yeah, it also means you have to cook, and I really don't like cooking at all, uh, yeah. but, you know, I think there's been a lot of studies, and it just kind of is common sense, that it, the more you eat at home, you're, the more you're healthy you're going to be eating because you're right. avoiding processed foods, and at restaurants, they put a lot of added sugar and salt and oil and things, you know, so... It's just a fact, but I do hate cooking. I hate cooking almost as much as I hate dieting. So. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) But, um, you know, so over the years, I've found a couple of what I would call diet hacks that I've learned over the years and have been pretty consistent with. I tried some fad diets way back when I, you know, I tried the, um, oh gosh, what was that diet? I can't even remember now. The uh, South Beach diet, remember that one? Oh, it was terrible. (laughs) Especially for me, since I uh, like most of the stuff on that did not agree with me, we'll just say. But um, that aside, once I finally gave up the fad diets, a couple of diet hacks I've followed consistently. Uh, one of my favorite favorite fitness bloggers, Matt Fitzgerald, who is actually a vegan, I believe, he recommends having a smoothie for breakfast and a big green salad for lunch most days, and then eating pretty much what you please for dinner. It sounds crazy. It sounds like you might, you know, just like go hog wild, but that's really not what happens. I found that when you start your day off like putting a lot of good, nutritious food in your body, you kind of want to keep it going. So when I followed that, I don't typically just sort of, you know, eat whatever at night. I kind of have something more, you know, maybe more indulgent but still healthy. So that's one of the things I try to follow.
0: Yeah, that's that's great, and it's funny you brought this up because. I realize that's basically what I do, and it's not. Oh, really? It's it's not even necessarily a conscious decision. It's just the way my (laughs) diet has evolved. So, uh, I have a smoothie almost every morning, and you know, I do typically almost always like wild blueberries. I like those acai packets again. What you have to get the ones without the added sugar. That's you have to really, yeah. Yeah. So, um, or or other, you know, dragon fruit again without the added sugar um or you know other typical smoothie ingredients i mix it up sometimes this week i've been doing aloe vera which has been kind of cool oh uh, interesting yeah but so i i typically do that in a smoothie with some like uh, cashew yogurt and peanut butter and a little bit of honey uh and banana and that's that's my breakfast and then for lunch um uh, most days i would say now i eat a big green salad now i do add protein to it so whether it's oh, fish I know you're not you're, you're not eating chicken, uh, but I typically would add that or even some black beans or something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, it's it, I thought that was cool um, that you mentioned that because I realized well, that's kind of what I do for my diet now so.
1: And it's easy. It's really easy. Like there's so much variation with smoothies if you have the basic ingredients. And we're so fortunate. You know, I go into the office a couple of two or three days a week now, and we have an amazing salad bar. So you can make like a really big loaded salad and not have to have all those ing- ingredients on hand at home. Again, no cooking for me. <laughs> anyway, yes. um, the other is I almost never drink soda. And, I, and I've and i pretty much lost the taste for it. I will say um, occasionally, or I guess Once every couple of years, I go to Honduras and do some service work. So that's like some um, heavy-duty construction that we're doing. And I will have soda down there, and it tastes amazing after like eight hours of hard labor. But I feel like I can afford the calories. And they also use um, real sugar in soda there versus the corn syrup.
0: I had a jaritos the other day, which, again, (sighs) real sugar, yeah. Real sugar, yeah. yeah. But I'm with you. I try to avoid soda, you know. Every once in a while, a root beer because I love root beer, but um, (laughs) – I think I was really scarred in the early 2000s by watching that movie, Supersize Me. Did you ever see that? Oh,
1: no. I actually have never seen that. Like, I didn't get into it when it was a big thing.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) there's a part in the movie where they show um, a guy who's having a stomach surgery, one of those, um, what do they call those?
1: uh, Yeah. It's a gastric sleeve or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And basically, he and his wife are showing the amount of soda they drink every day. And it's like- this jo- this thing that's is bigger than your head and wow. they were drinking multiple cups of soda from the convenience store day. so um, if you haven't uh. if you haven't seen that movie i highly recommend it uh, i might watch
1: it tonight actually
0: <laughs> yeah it's good i mean for for those who are listening if you haven't seen it the premise of the movie is the filmmaker who's a documentary filmmaker uh, he eats McDonald's for like 30 days straight and it will blow your mind what oh, happens wow. to his body. It's beyond what you could imagine. So wow, highly recommend the movie, but yeah, that's that's what I think of when I think of soda.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So that's definitely something I've mostly cut out. And then the last one of my diet hacks is psychological. So I try not to assign value judgments to food as in, you know, this is a good food, that, that food's a bad food. Um, but rather just enjoy all things in moderation. Because I think, you know, once you start assigning value judgments to food, it actually makes you crave them more. So, you know, the more you're thinking, oh, I can't have that, it's off limits, then the more you're going to want it. So I think everything can be enjoyed in, in moderation, you know.
0: That's interesting. So previously were you having, you know, did, did you have the issue of you were assigning these value judgments and I don't know, saying like, oh, chocolate's really bad, I can't have it, and then craving it. Was that happening? Yeah,
1: ex- that's exactly it. Yeah, for me, it's donuts. Donuts are my weakness. Oh, I love donuts. Yeah, <laughs> I love donuts too. And here in San Francisco, you can get a vegan donut, So uh, it's so, still unhealthy, but so delicious, right? Yeah. So now I treat myself on the weekends. Actually, me and my dog go get donuts, usually like on Saturday or Sunday, but that's it. And, you know, just kind of resolves the craving. And also, there really isn't, you know, anything inherently good or bad about a food. It's just a matter. Of you know having some moderation,
0: yeah, absolutely. I've replaced donuts with a breakfast burrito every week, so,
1: <laughs> which I think is slightly healthier. Uh, so. uh, yeah, slightly.
0: <laughs> Anyways, well, those are those are some great tips, Jen, and and those are some great diet hacks for those of you uh, thinking about this nutrition issue after forty, especially as we head into Thanksgiving. And I think we've learned a yeah. lot today. Uh, we learned uh, that this visceral abdominal fat visceral abdominal fat. Say that three times fast. It's <laughs> right. very scary. You don't want it. Uh, and we also learned that metabolism isn't really the driver of why you're gaining weight, uh, at least until right. you're 60. That was, that was pretty mind-blowing. Mind-blowing to, blowing to me, yeah. Yeah. So great stuff. And And then great great tips uh, on diet from Eugen and, and talking about blue zones and things like that again I think there's some deeper research we can do do here for future podcasts so uh, good conversation today and we're looking forward to next week uh, we've already got a plan for next week we're going to continue our Thanksgiving theme mm-hmm. We're going to talk about something that we're very thankful for and that is the concept of having a fitness accountability buddy. Uh, we mentioned this previously on the podcast, so we're going to dive deeper into that next week. And there, there's maybe some research behind this. Yeah, and, some it, science. Yeah, so we're excited about that. And as always, if you have stories or ideas for the podcast, you know we had our first uh, listener story last week. Would love to get That's some right. more. Send us an email, Alex at Practically uh, or of course, you can actually go out to Practically sign up for the newsletter, and you you can comment on the podcast there and leave share your story or share comments. We really would welcome that as the community continues to grow. Uh, and of course, again, if you're enjoying the podcast, please review our podcast on Apple podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. It means a lot to us and helps us grow the listenership. Uh, so thanks for listening this week and until next
1: week, remember fitness is for everybody.